0: Welcome to episode 32 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin
1: Johnson. I'm Connor Azagari.
0: And today we will be talking about Chinatown from 1974. Rich received 11 nominations at the 47th Academy Awards. We got some 1974 talk coming, 47th Academy Awards talk coming, of course, and some awards for Connor and I to give out to Chinatown later on. But where do we begin with this monster of a movie that has obviously controversy riddled Around it because of the director uh, And the plot itself Is quite dark when you realize Who the director is um, But we got Jack Nicholson Faye Dunaway Robert Town, Rowan Plansky, Robert Evans Jerry Goldsmith, John A. Alonzo And Sam Osteen All these people are involved in the same film Connor, where do you want to begin?
1: Oh, Chinatown Is one of those films That changes the game. We've talked about this idea a lot on this show and on filmgasm that there are films out there where you can kind of tell that after this came out, things were never quite the same. Chinatown is one of those films. And I think that without this film, Jack Nicholson's career goes in a whole different direction. Roma Polanski's career goes in a whole different direction. This movie needed to happen to make them the mega stars that they became. And yeah, it is pretty damn flawless it's a a remarkable uh modern noir thriller that keeps you guessing the whole time you think you know what's going on you're not even fucking close the whole time i love how the whole water thing is a whole red is a red herring the entire time that's completely meaningless to the real story and to see john houston play such a vile piece of shit is really something so that you could really kind of go anywhere with this one
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even, you know, mention John Houston, who, of course, we've kind of, you know, grown attached to through this show. Uh, so, so it's very cool. Uh, there's just a bunch of people who are, of course, like you said, kind of explode after this movie. And there's just people here who, as far as Oscar Sunday goes, this show, they have they have nominations at the wazoo. If you look at all these people, I mean, Jack Nicholson alone. <laughs> you know, he's a guy. He's a guy we talked about on. Our episode that was based around five easy pieces and we got to we got to really explore his you know kind of academy you know academy cabinet i, I guess you could say because he has multiple wins <laughs> and uh, obviously multiple nominations so i'm gonna go ahead and bring those back up to start us off here <clears throat> um because why not jack nobison one of the best to ever do it uh, and in chinatown is arguably his best role of all time so we have easy rider He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, We have Five Easy Pieces. He was nominated for Best Actor. We have The Last Detail. He was nominated for Best Actor. Chinatown. He was nominated for Best Actor. One Float of the Cuckoo's Nest. He won for Best Actor. Reds. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Terms of Endearment. Won for Best Supporting Actor. Pritzy's Honor. Nominated for Best Actor. Iron Weed. Nominated for Best Actor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got a few more, a few good men nominated for best actor as good as it gets winner for best actor about Schmidt nominated for best actor. Uh, that, that is, uh, you know, one of the most impressive runs for any actor as far as the, the Academy goes. So where do you see Chinatown when it, when it comes to Nicholson and these kind of movies here? Or where do you see Chinatown in the ranks?
1: Um, In terms of his nominations, I mean, that's a five yes. decade. Spread there, and that's impressive. Yes, and Chinatown does rank among the best. He's he's pretty amazing in this. He's, I mean, he's pretty much just playing kind of you know Jack, but we love Jack. I mean, you can see like elements of the Joker here, you can see a little bit of RP McMurphy. Like, there's a lot that came out of J- Jake Giddis, and I, I think that's my favorite thing about this role is all the different pieces of Jack you can see in future performances.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, a precursor to, yeah, his, 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 I think this in five easy pieces, and I have not seen uh, the long detail. I've heard it's great. Uh, I I can't wait to check that one out and kind of complete that, that early run there. Cause easy Rider, you know, that's the one that starts it off. He's just, he's incredible. And he kind of shapes this stuff and then becomes immediately one of the best in the game with this movie, with this role. And then, and then one for the cuckoo's nest a year later, it's just, not a lot of people can pull that off you know and that's how you prove that you know you're one of the greats and you kind of sustain that like you said for five decades kind of sustain that greatness uh you know obviously w- when we talked about him in five easy pieces we brought up how he's just always around you know pop culture wise throughout the you know 80s especially with the showtime lakers and all that stuff and he's just it's fucking jack you know um you and i have a serious connection of course to the shining, you know. Uh we kind of, you know, was a pillar of this podcast, you know, doing film gasm, right? Shining was the first episode that we did. And it's a special movie and he's a huge part of that. And so anytime we get to talk about Jack, it's great. But uh we're gonna talk about him a lot, I think, throughout this episode. So let's let's move on to Faye Dunaway, someone that we actually have watched two movies of this week. We saw the Towering Inferno and Chinatown, of course. Uh, what were the other three movies we watched, Connor?
1: Um, that would be the conversation, uh, Lenny, and yes. Godfather Part Two.
0: <laughs> exactly, and those are the, of course, the five nominees for best picture at the forty seventh Academy Awards. Chinatown didn't win, but we went ahead. We've seen Godfather Part Two. We've seen the conversation. You hadn't seen Lenny yet. You're like, fuck it, let's go ahead and see that. And neither of us had seen the Towering Inferno. Fuck it. Um, all five of these movies are awesome. So it's going to be, it's gonna be a lot of fun, but it was, it was kind of like a Faye Dunaway week without even trying. (laughs) And she, she is spectacular. The more and more I watch her, I uh, recently watched three days of the condor. She's awesome in that alongside Robert Redford. You know, we can most certainly go down her, her run here. If you would like uh, Sir Connor, Uh, she somehow acts alongside of course, Jack Nicholson in this, and dare I say you know rivals him in some scenes because to handle what he's thrown at her and to just you know handle it I, I love when actors are able to in those dramatic scenes just with their facial expressions handle whatever the other person is doing that's kind of crazy <laughs> and Jack is certainly throwing a lot of acting at her you know it's uh, incredible stuff but Faye Faye is uh, you know almost 80 years old now so she's, she's she's been around for a long time of course Network is a very popular movie as well I don't want to Missed that one, but let's get to her nominations She has one win altogether And three nominations altogether That'd be Bonnie and Clyde, 1968 Movie came out in 1967 Chinatown And Network, that's the one she got the win for So we have Jack and Faye Alongside each other, anytime you have a, uh, Multiple Nominated actors alongside each other We have to mention on this show <laughs> <laughs> Of course Roman Polanski Let's mm. go ahead and talk about the man who directed this film. Um, we had some fun with Jack and Faye. They're both incredible. We're going to be, of course, when we give out awards, I think they're going to be brought up inevitably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and when we talk about the 47th Academy Awards, they're both nominated. So we're going to have fun with that. Uh, Polanski is some someone that has to be brought up here. Um, this is obviously a guy who we kind of detest and, as you, as, as all people should. And, you know, major film fans, I think there's, there's plenty out there who just kind of disown his work, you know? Yeah. Just fuck it. It, it, you push it to the side and I get it, you know, Um, I get it. And I especially get it when, you know, maybe people in the industry are kind of like upset about him still winning awards, you know, I get it, get it it's fucked up it's really fucked up it's really messed up when he wins an oscar for the pianist you know come on what are we doing here this guy you know roman plants give course you know if you don't know what he was accused of then i don't know where you've been i don't know why you're listening to this podcast that'd be weird uh you know in the late 70s he's accused of rape and essentially fled the country. Right. So, and he's still, he's not allowed to come back here. Otherwise he'll be arrested and thrown in prison. Uh, the Academy finally, you know, took some action with him, uh, took, took way too long. That's one of the things I hate about the Academy is how long it took for them to make such an easy decision. Right. (laughs) Uh, but we absolutely have to talk about him because he is in the movie and he's directing the film. Um, and of course, you and I are huge fans, huge fans of Rosemary's Baby uh, and obviously Chinatown. And it's the base of an episode here. And I feel conflicted about that, of course, you know, choosing a Roman Polanski film to, to center an episode around like, ah. But I think it's a place to have a conversation about uh, something that you and I feel strongly about, which is trying to realize that Chinatown has a lot of people involved in it. Not all of them deserve to be in prison. And I I see it as a very much a team effort, just like all films and Roman Polanski. Yes. Is the director. He didn't write it though. That was Sir Robert town. The only guy who won an Oscar out of this movie. (laughs) And I, I think there's so many things in play with each movie that he was a part of that. You can't just call it a Roman Polanski film. And just push it to the side. That would be pushing Faye Dunaway to the side. That'd be pushing Jack Nicholson to the side. That'd be pushing Jerry Goldsmith to the side, Sam Osteen, all these people that were involved. And I just, I I don't really care to do that with every movie, you know, that has someone involved that sucks. Um, I I think you feel similarly.
1: Yeah. I've always been a strong proponent of separating the men from the work. And, you know, especially in recent years, it's become tougher and tougher to do that you know with Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein and these things finally coming to light it's hard to justify films that were made by these people but you have to otherwise it's really hard to pretty much enjoy anything that comes out of Hollywood because there's a lot of suffering that's you know that kind of makes these things happen it's unfortunate but we all like to think it doesn't happen but Hollywood's a dark place. Hollywood, a lot of the films that come out of Hollywood are made on just, you know, empty promises and shattered dreams. And that's something you kind of have to come to terms with if you're going to be a film buff. Films like Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby and The Pianist and Tess, these are masterpieces made by a rapist. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And I don't think the movie should have to suffer for that. Because the movie didn't do anything wrong. The product is innocent. And that's pretty much what we're trying to say here. We embrace Chinatown for reasons that are our own. We respect Jack Nicholson. We respect Faye Dunaway. We respect Robert Town. We do not respect Roman Polanski. Not after what he did. And yeah, no. I'm glad that the Academy finally expelled him He had the balls to try to sue his way back in. And uh, now he's just, you know, he's a pariah, finally. Not just, you know, nationally, but internationally. And, uh, yeah, we will, you know, this won't be the last Polanski film we cover on this podcast or on Filmgasm. He's got a ton of films that we want to talk about. Because once the film is made, once the art is created, it belongs to the masses. It belongs to us. It's no longer just Polanski's movie. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: agree. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, with that being said, you know, you, and you've known me for long enough now, like Chinatown is, I see it as, you know, one of the better movies I've ever seen, or one of the better productions altogether I've ever seen, but it's one of my favorite movies. You know, when I when I first watched it, I remember buying it at Best Buy on on Blu-ray and throwing it on. I It was in... <clears throat> 2000. It was when I was living in Houston. I remember I was working at the airport there and it was in 2016, like early 2016. And I remember, you know, buying it and just putting it on and kind of, you know, getting on, getting on the internet and reading about it and just kind of like reckoning with what we're talking about here. Just coming to terms with it. Wow. Fuck. But this is, this is really good. And I don't, you know, feeling conflicted and and going through those thoughts of, Reminding yourself that not everything is negative just because this, you know, this person, quite frankly, yeah, has lived a, a a false life, in my opinion, where he he should be in prison, you know. Yeah. And, and and that very much sucks. Like very much so. Um, it's 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 hard to reckon with, but I would be silly to not call it. You know, deep down, when I watch it, I'm just absolutely floored. By everything that's going on, um, well, real quick, let's go through them. Uh, Roman Polanski was nominated for best writing, screenplay based on a material from another medium. Rosemary's Baby. That movie came out in 1968. Absolute classic. Uh, Chinatown. He was nominated for best director. Tess. He was nominated for best director. Also a very good movie. The Pianist. He was nominated uh, for best picture, of course, because he shared that one with Robert Ben Musa and Elaine Sarde. And then he won Best Director for The Pianist. Now, you know, all these nominations shouldn't really be there, uh, you know. And that, that's very frustrating. But like I said, I, I can kind of stand by. I think all of the films here that are represented are good movies. I do. I, if, you know, you just look at them on paper, I understand why they're nominated. But I don't know why he's nominated. Uh, and that that I have that I have an issue with, and I think that's the stuff that it, the academy has to like moving forward. And that's something that you and I are going to be watching, and we'll always talk about on the show. Is that we want to see changes. We always want to see changes. We want to see it adapt. We want to see the Oscars become the Oscars we want to fucking see on TV every year. You know, we want it to be that awesome show that represents actually the films that are being made by filmmakers that are truly trying to give to the craft to the medium and that, that, that would be a cool day if we saw that, you know, uh, (laughs) if we really saw that, but like you said, Hollywood is a dark place and Roman Polanski is certainly a figure of, of, of that term.
1: Yeah. And it's weird that for so long he got a pass like by everybody. I mean, Tess that came out three years after the, uh, the scandal and after he fled and he got a nomination for directing. I mean, that's fucked up. Three years after this, everyone knew exactly who he was for decades. Nobody cared. That's the that's the bad, that's the worst part of this whole thing, is nobody gave a shit. Yeah. And, and ugh, it took literally the fall of Harvey Weinstein for people to finally not accept this kind of shit anymore. And I'm glad that's finally happened, but it should have happened so long ago. This never should have been acceptable. Yeah. It's, yeah. Any situation where you can get away with raping a teenager is horrible and detestable. And this, <laughs> it's, yeah, I just don't know. The more I think about it, the more I just don't understand it. But yeah. You know, yeah, exa-
0: exactly. It kind of just like hurts your brain. You're like, the movie should just be, it shouldn't be nominated for
1: awards and stuff like that. Come on. Well, I don't know because... Tess is a great movie and I don't want that to be, you know, Chinatown. I get why it was nominated. You know, that came, this came out three years before everything happened. So there was no. Yeah. Yeah. Prior there. to yeah. Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Yeah. But Tess and the pianist are pretty unforgivable for the Academy to award him like that Award the film I think is fine. The film that's, is, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. Pianist. You're
0: right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, You know, these are the tough conversations we have, you know, these, I don't want to run from them. Uh, I think that's what people have done for too long, including people who look like me, young white males who just fucking want to, you know, look away from the real things that are happening and not have those hard conversations. Uh, and sometimes you gotta like wake up a little bit, you know, and I, I think I'm, I'm always going to be battling with this movie. I always will be. And, and Roman Polanski just. Jesus, the guy, uh, the guy's the guy's frustrating as hell. So let's move on to Robert Town. Um, this guy's been nominated four times altogether. Uh, we got and he has one win for Chinatown. He was nominated for The Last Detail. I would love to see that, man. He's where, you know, you team up uh, with Jack Nicholson. That's really cool. Uh, then he you know, won for Chinatown. That's a year after the last detail. And then. Shampoo, this is a film I got. I got to see. He sh- he shared this award or shared this nomination. Sorry, with Warren Beatty, uh, hmm. original screenplay wrote together. I I, I got to see that movie, man. I've heard I've heard great things. Uh, and then we have *Grey stroke *The Legend of Tarzan*, *Lord of the Apes*, *1984*, Best Writing, screenplay based on another medium. Of course, he was nominated. Uh, shared that one with Michael Austin. Have not seen that one. <laughs>
1: No nah, man, uh, great. yeah, Tarzan. That's so weird. You forget how many different versions of Tarzan there've been. I mean, that's been you know pub- public domain story since like the late eighteen hundreds, and it's just kind of been you know fair game for anyone who wants to give it a shot. Unbelievable, <laughs> crazy man. <laughs> have you have you ever seen Shampoo or, or heard anything about it? I have not. I've heard the name, but I have never uh, looked into the film.
0: Yeah, man. I yeah, it's something that I just kind of hear it's one of those you know one of those whatever underground kind of hipster whatever oscar nominated movies similar to i think uh there's there's a movie we'll talk about later directed by john cassavetes that i think is kind of falls into that
1: category um, well warren Beatty's a filmmaker i really haven't explored yet i've uh, seen a few of his acting roles but as far as directing and writing i just haven't you know pursued that yet and uh I'd like to. He's a guy I'd like to have a reason to dig into. Hell yeah, man! All right, we got
0: a next guy here. Who? Uh, it'll be. I think it's about a year and a half ago now. He he passed away. We we're gonna bring up Robert Evans. Uh, oof! What a career this guy. He, you know, is a, a producer one of those names that you actually recognize from producers, right? We know all these directors and writers and stuff. And Robert Evans is a producer. You can kind of like see, cause he there's not a lot of people who look like him <laughs> no. and uh, just look at his IMDB page. This guy, this guy's an absolute legend. Uh, he was only nominated for one, for this one Oscar right here for, for, for Chinatown for best picture, obviously. But, but he has a career that I think we should just kind of bring up here. And, and I want to hear if you, uh, you know, have a connection to any of these movies uh we'll go down to the bottom here ah we got chinatown marathon man (laughs) black sunday urban cowboy players popeye the cotton club the two jakes sliver (laughs) jade the phantom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Saint, the out of towners, how to lose a guy in ten days, <laughs> just a wacky career, and uh, he was an uncredited uh, producer. This is, you know, a whole another conversation uh, on The Godfather Part One and Two, and I've read some things, you know, about that. And again, I think I really do think it's a whole another can of worms that we could talk about when we get to do Godfather on this show. Because of course, when we do a proper Best Picture showdown, it'll be around Godfather Part Two, <laughs> because because Chinatown lost to it, quite frankly, and uh, that's always that's always a fun conversation. But yeah, Robert Evans is a guy who just kind of did all kinds of random films and good movies and B movies. He, he clearly loved just
1: doing his job. You know, that, that's cool to see. For sure, man. He's he's unique. I think it's cool that he produced the sequel to chinatown that nobody really knows about the two jakes yeah um, nobody talks about that one yeah nobody at all because i heard it was terrible i still haven't watched it because i just i know it's gonna suck uh, popeye what another oddball robin williams first mainstream film and a, no kidding. <laughs> a weird watch popeye <laughs> any live action cartoon is gonna be fucking weird um and then marathon man is just such a classic that's yes, that's a bitch in film. So yeah, his it got weird towards the end. You know, he started doing some rom coms, but not a bad uh resume. Yeah, yeah, I
0: yeah. I was kind of like blown away when I looked at it all together. I was like, whoa, you know, you just you never know. When you look at IMDB and you just click on that filmography, you never know what's gonna come up. And here's another guy who I think I think you probably have some connections to here. Jerry Goldsmith.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> Oh man. You know, he's just a wonderful wonderful composer. Oh <laughs> and, my god. And, and oh this guy, another guy who's who's not with us anymore. He he passed away in 2004. Um wh- What movie do you want to start with because there's there's a couple here that I really really love that he's a part of.
1: <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith is one of the most like just legendary composers in film history. He did so many masterpieces, but I immediately go straight to the omen. <laughs> oh, same, same. And honestly, I can't go
0: through the IMDb. I can't do it. It's too long. If you <laughs> scroll through, it's going to take you a minute to scroll through.
1: Yeah. You know, this
0: guy's involved, he's involved in TV and orchestras and movies and TV movies and all conducting and composing and doing this. It's just, everywhere, everywhere, man. I, I can't believe it. You know, I was actually surprised. I know this is one of your, one of your favorites. I believe I came across the mummy.
1: Yeah. The mummy was, uh, was a big one. Yeah. That was was so cool. That score has been in my head since I was a kid and weirdly enough, we're doing that on filmgasm on Wednesday. So pretty cool. Um, exactly. That's yeah. yeah. That's kind of why I wanted to bring it up and, you know, LA
0: confidential, I mean, come on, this guy, (laughs) you just kind of click on, you know, going any, any year here. And you just, you find that he works on like three or four things and they're all cool. Small soul. Pretty amazing.
1: (laughs) Yes. Fucking hell. Mind if I go through his nominations? This is just, of course, dude, go for it. I mean, yeah, gladiator. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) So he was nominated, uh, 1962 to 1998. And it is quite a resume. Uh, 1962, Freud. 1965, A Patch of Blue. 1966, The Sand Pebbles. 1968, Planet of the Apes. 1970, Patton. 1973, Papillon. 1974, Chinatown. 1975, The Wind and the Lion. Two in 76, he won for score for The Omen, nominated for Best Song, Ave Satani. Hail Satan, I love that so much. Who says whore doesn't get recognized? (laughs) 1978 the boys from brazil 1979 star trek the motion picture 1982 poltergeist 1983 under fire 1986 hoosiers 1992 basic instinct 1997 la confidential and 1998 mulan and that's just his nominations
0: (laughs) excuse me ladies and gentlemen ennio morricone look out
1: 280 (laughs) credits for music that is unbelievable
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is why we got to bring these people up. There's a reason Chinatown works so well because everyone is good at their job.
1: <laughs> and he captures this perfect, like late '40s Humphrey Bogart style music that just works so well for Chinatown. It makes it timeless. It's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> well, yeah, and it puts it,
0: it puts Jack Nicholson in a place when you think. When you think about, like, I love that you brought, brought up bogey. When you think about guys who can pull off, you know, the hat and the suit, and it's just the fucking, you know, sunset in Los Angeles. If, if and, the Maltese you know, Falcon. No, I mean,
1: there's not a lot of, not a lot of pe- people who do that kind of stuff anymore. If the Maltese Falcon had been made after the Hays Code, this is the movie it would have been. Like, that's what I see. Yes. As, I, I see Chinatown as the movie they all wanted to make in the 40s but they couldn't and now they can <laughs> and here we go we have this movie that is the same style and the same idea as film noir films but after the fact and after the Hays Code is abolished and now they can go as far as they want to go it's, it's it's wonderful films like this you know constantly remind you that the Hayes Code was bullshit that never should have happened in the first place
0: mm. yeah exactly yeah that's something that you and I Detest? <laughs> not, not for us. Not for film fans. The uh, the old Hayes code. Ah, Jerry Goldsmith, just an absolute, absolute icon. Of course, he will come up. Of course, when we talk about the Inyo Morricone Award, so <laughs> stick with us. We we uh, let, let's talk about. We got a couple more guy, a couple more guys I want to bring up here. Um, some guys that maybe you know don't get enough don't get enough praise. The first one would be the cinematographer John A. Alonzo. Now, when you think Chinatown, you you think about you think about the camera. You think about how well it moves, how how steady this film is, and with Polanski and Alonzo behind the camera, it's a it's a pretty nice team. Uh, John A. Alonzo was born right here in Texas in 1934. He passed away in 2001. Uh, this is another guy that I just was kind of surprised when I looked at, when I looked at his run. Uh, so I'll, I'll bring up real quick, just, just, uh, you know, his nomination is for, is for Chinatown, just like Robert Evans. He has the one nomination, but there's so much more. There's so much more when you go, when you go down again, on IMDb, we love this website, (laughs) you go down to the filmography and it's, uh, pretty long. He's got 83 credits for cinematography. Um, Uh, does anything stick out to you when you just kind of scroll through? Cause it, it, it is, it is long.
1: Yeah. A film we can't seem to get away from for some reason. Norma Ray. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. I knew it. I was hoping that's the one you would see. <laughs> and I, it makes sense. I, I, I can tell, I can tell it's the same man. It's he, the guy has an eye. And then also, you know, Scarface. I mean, fucking come on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Scarface from Chinatown to Scarface in a, in a, Ten year span. I like that. <laughs> oh man. Oh um, Yeah. I mean, I'm just going through here trying to trying to scan through. It, it is, you know, give you a headache just looking at all of these titles, and it makes me curious. You know, I want to see some of these films if he's involved because he obviously knows what he's doing. Um. Chinatown. It stuck out to me when I first saw it be because of. I, things I didn't really know that I was going to fall in love with, right? But simple things of the camera deciding to use a rearview mirror to capture a scene, using the binoculars to capture a whole scene, you know. These different things that happen throughout Chinatown, that are just, you know, <clears throat> kind of next level stuff. You know, they're it's very precise and pristine filmmaking. And I think John A. Alonzo is a guy that we should bring up when we talk about this. And the next guy we're going to bring up, this is the last individual before we get into the 47th Academy Awards. Bear with us. We got Sam Osteen, and that is who edited Chinatown. Now, this is another person or individual, or, you know, this is a, a job that people, I don't think, talk about enough, right? Yeah. Is so, someone, someone literally has to sit in a room and and chop this shit down and figure out <laughs> serious, serious decision-making and cuts. and Yeah it's not, not an easy job. Right. And it's Ultimately, something that we, yeah, it's something that we just don't appreciate. And it, it, it's something that with Chinatown is so interesting because, you know, it's Roman Plansky, Roman plants, It's like, no, but look at all these other things that are involved that need to happen for it to be what it is. And that's, you know, people just thinking it's all, all the, the, the directors, the power, you know, and that's all that matters. And it's just not true. It's no. not true. And, and you need a guy like Sam Osteen to make, to make Chinatown work.
1: The editing room is where the movie is made. Essentially, you know, it's shot, but there's, you know, four, five, six hours of footage that they have to compile into a functioning narrative. And that's what happens in the editing room. Those are the real heroes here, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Sam Osteen was nominated three times altogether at uh, the Academy Awards. And that'd be for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Chinatown, and Silkwood. (laughs) <laughs> very nice um, yeah uh, Silkwood's a film that you and I just kind of we were hanging out and we just kind of like read a little bit about and we we're like whoa that's, that's something maybe we should do on Oscar Sunday <laughs> and so it's cool to see it come up here it's directed by Mike Nichols uh, written by Nora Ephron starring Meryl Streep and Kurt Russell and Cher yeah I, I just think that's something that we got to do here it's nominated for five Oscars again Sam Osteen Those three films alone, the ones that are just nominated, very impressive, right? Yeah. But look at his filmography on IMDb. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) And he's got 34 credits. And it's got, you know, Catch-22, Cool Hand Luke. Uh, I'm just naming shit that I see real quick. Uh, Rosemary's Baby. Hey, The Graduate. Uh, Decent Flicks. Um, Hurricane. Uh, Yeah, there's Silkwood. Frantic. Yeah, (laughs) Working Girl. I, I don't, you know. This is why Chinatown is good. (laughs) It's because all of these people are working on it. All of them at once on the same two hour film. (laughs) And that's, that's not to mention who might steal the entire show. John Houston. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Uh, A a, a Titan, a Titan of the game uh, in in the film industry altogether. And absolutely frightening performance in Chinatown.
1: For sure. John Houston, you know, part of a, filmmaking dynasty that's still active today still pumping out s- s- stars it's fucking amazing starting with his dad walter and just you know now it's uh jack houston who's you know an upcomer on Boardwalk empire isn't that ben-hur remake it's it's a, it's insane the talent in this family
0: <laughs> oh um, yeah it's 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 not right i mean i get if you've listened to this show you know thank you but then you you probably know that I'll never shut up about Treasure of the shit, Sierra Madre from 1948, and John Huston you know, wrote and directed that sucker. So uh, <laughs> he's he's an all time all time guy, and you'll see him sprinkled throughout movies in a way that you know that just excites you. You're like, oh shit, he's involved in this and this and this and this. Uh, just on IMDb, his the four movies here at the top are. Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Chinatown, The African Queen and Moby Dick. You know, such <laughs> a so, you know, immediately even if you hadn't seen those, immediately you're just like holy hell, I need to know what's going on here. He just he, he he provides intrigue right away. He his career and it's someone he's a guy I cannot wait to keep keep on seeing and popping up and stuff and he's a he's a two-time Oscar winner, you know? He's a, he's a guy that has a career similar to Jack's where it just spans over decades. It goes over four decades, dude, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I'll just, I'll, I'll go over him real quick. He's nominated for best writing for Dr. Ehrlich's magic bullet, uh, magic bullet, best writing for Maltese Falcon. Also, uh, oh, Sergeant York that came out the same year. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, he won for best director and won best writing for treasure of the Sierra Madre. And then was nominated for Best Writing for The Asphalt Jungle, Best Director, Asphalt Jungle nomination, Uh, nominated for Best Director and Screenplay for The African Queen, nominated Best Picture for Moulin Rouge, 1953, and Best Director, Uh, nominated for Best Writing for Heaven Knows, Mr. Allison, Uh, nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, The Cardinal, Best Writing, uh, The Man Who Would Be King, and then Best director, nomination, Pritzi's Honor. Yeah, it just goes on. It's
1: These guys give you a headache. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking incredible,
0: man. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And not just that, but like every part of filmmaking that John Huston did. He was a writer. He was a director. He was an actor. Like, he did everything. And he yeah. fucking rocked at all parts of it. He's... Terrifying in Chinatown. It's such an understated performance, but you get the vibe that this guy could just kill J- Jake whenever he wants and end all this. He has that kind of power, and you feel that. It's it's remarkable, and I love that he he's here. He didn't need to do this, but here he is. <laughs> he clearly liked. Yeah. His- no.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's like I. Th- I think I can do that. I think I'm the man for the job. You, and I'm sure it didn't
1: hurt. It. I'm sure it didn't hurt that Jack was dating his daughter at the time. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. You know, you know, that's, that could be a kicker right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but man. Like you said, it's an incredible performance and a guy that, yeah, I just, I can't wait to keep, you know, discovering, discovering stuff that he's done and been a part of. And
1: yeah. Looking I'm, at I'm his really, IMDb. Really,
0: I'm down for that.
1: Yeah. Looking at his IMDb. I'm just now realizing that he's the guy narrating the prologue of the black cauldron. One of my favorite old school Disney movies. I mean, there on. you go. Yeah. He's Gandalf the gray in the cartoon version of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit that came out in the seventies.
0: <laughs> incredible. Christ. Oh man. I love it. I
1: absolutely love it. I'm going to find out one day he's just, just like, he's got like an extra cameo in back to the future or some shit.
0: <laughs> Why not? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. As, as we keep learning, you know, just more and more pops up and you realize how much you didn't know before. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of you know just kind of this undertaking of just watching movies nonstop and learning and growing and I I love it. I love it so much and I'm excited to talk about the 47th Academy Awards because you and I we we did our homework this week. You know, you were you were able to see Lenny for the first time and the towering Inferno for the first time. I was able to finally see the towering Inferno for the first time and. We certainly have some stuff to say about these these flicks, and of course we have something to say about the conversation, and Godfather Part Two, and of course we have things to say about Chinatown, as we've been talking about it the entire episode. We will continue. Uh, where do you want to start here? You want to start with the? Uh, I think it's music. Is that the one at the bottom on IMDb there?
1: Yeah, we like to start from the bottom, work our way up.
0: So, yes, sir, let's do yeah. it.
1: Best original dramatic score, Jerry Goldsmith. He was up against John Williams for The Towering Inferno, Alex North for Shanks, Richard Rodney Bennett for Murder on the Orient Express. Ex- Express, Sorry, I don't know why I listed there. Uh, <laughs> and the winner, Nino Rota and Carmine Coppola for The Godfather Part Two. And as good as the music is in Chinatown, I mean, nobody was kind of, nobody was beaten. Nino Rota for Godfather II. <laughs> the music yeah, of the Godfather is franchise is kind of, you know, impossible to defeat. The only reason the first time loss is because Nina Rhoda got his nomination withdrawn because he had recycled music for the score. But he didn't do that this time and he won.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Well, we can invite him back. He didn't do it this time. Isn't it crazy to see Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams in the same category?
1: John Williams, I, the, I love that he did Towering Inferno. It's so weird. It's great music. Yeah. <laughs> Well, t- Towering Inferno is loaded. T-
0: is loaded with superstars. I, and it kind of, I don't even know if it benefits from it or I don't even, it is an absolute all-star cast. Yeah. And then, of course, and of course you have guys like John Williams in the background, similar to what's happening in Chinatown. It, it makes sense why Towering Inferno is a good, solid flick because of all the people working in it. Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe when I was like, listening to the music i was like i feel like i know you know i feel like i know this i feel this you know like i yeah we grew up with this shit everyone does
1: it's it's just odd to see a non spielberg spielberg lucas john williams movie (laughs) because there's so few of them because
0: exactly exactly
1: and it is remarkable and as far as you know the towering inferno's cast that was just what they did in the 70s. They got as many big name actors as they could. They put them in some disaster movie and it was hugely profitable. But in the Tower of Inferno's case, they actually tried to make it a good story and it worked. And, you know, we'll, I'll have more to say about that later.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Godfather Part Two, like you said earlier, it's it's the winner of this, uh, as far as, you know, for these five movies, I think for sure. And I I, I do think Chinatown has something to say, you know, has moments where the you know score is just yeah a ten out of ten you know ten out of ten moments with the score, but overall yeah overall Godfather Part Two is whoof something else for sure. This was a stacked
1: year. It's really tough to make yeah. these decisions.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, Godfather Part Two in, in Chinatown going pretty much neck and neck with nominations eleven each, and of course Godfather Part Two has the last laugh with just the wins.
1: <laughs> Best film editing. We have the longest yard, earthquake, Chinatown, Blazing Saddles, and the winner, the Towering Inferno. And I love that Blazing Saddles is there, just peppered throughout this Oscars because you never see parody movies get this kind of attention. <laughs> so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, the, the Oscars are certainly interesting in that way, right? Where um, there's, we've learned, you know, you and I have learned that. Prior to say, you know, we're we're looking at the forty seventh Academy Awards, so it's nineteen seventy five for this ceremony. You know, I would say post whatever sixtieth Academy Awards, like you just would never see that happen, never, ever, ever. So it, it is it is very rare, you know, for a film like that to get some nominations, and I just don't see it happening now. You know, God, um, Borat getting that screenplay nomination is one of the very few uh, things you see, you know, throughout, throughout the past, you know, couple decades where you see something like that happening. Um, you would more often see a shout out to, to a film, like a straight comedy film. That's really trying some, some awesome stuff. Like Bridesmaids was nominated for best screenplay. And, and you're like, yeah, cool. Hell yeah. That's, that's pretty dope. You know, Shrek, you know, shit like that you you, you really enjoy when like a movie that's really trying to be funny and you know, original uh, but blazing saddles is different. Like you said, it's more of, it's a parody really. And it's interesting to see those here and it's just not going to happen. I just don't see it happening very much longer. Um, How do you feel about the genre or, or of Jojo rabbit, a movie that's similar, you know, in that it's kind of, you know, it is making fun of stuff and yeah. It's very serious though at times.
1: I think that these days, the only way a comedy gets serious Oscar attention is if it's got that bit of drama. You need to have it, need, it needs to be a dramedy. It's the only way. You look at films like, you know, JoJo Rabbit, Big Short, uh, even Vice at times. Like it's a Little Miss Sunshine. A little Miss yeah. Sunshine. Like you need, you need the drama angle or else they're not going to pay attention. You can't, like a film like Step Brothers would never get touched by the Oscars. Like the fact that Bridesmaids got nominated for screenplay and best supporting actress is kind of a miracle. (laughs) It's, it really is. And then like, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s nomination for Tropic Thunder, these things do happen sometimes, but it's, I mean, it's one in a million. Whereas. Yeah. And it it might depend on the year as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's, I would say, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. But I think the reason it's there is because of the prestige of actors and Tarantino and everything they put into it. It's, it's not in the traditional sense a straight-up comedy. It would be to me, but not to the voters. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel you. It definitely has to have
0: a sort of substance, a sort of yeah. something else going for it. And of course, Once Upon a Time Hollywood has a lot going for it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I love it. I love it. I, yeah, these, these are the fun conversations to have about, you know, figuring out, you know, how unpredictable and predictable the Academy is in some years and the streakiness of it and how sometimes they'll, you know, kind of follow a pattern and then break it out of nowhere. it's, it's just, it's interesting to look at, man. I think it's something I'm open to just kind of learning about, even though I don't love the Academy, it's, it's a bunch of movies being documented. So I'm just always going to be interested in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite frankly. Quite fr- And when when you you know, when you get a year like 1974, it's worth it, man. It's worth it to just kind of like use it as a guide to just watch a few films. And in this case, it worked. This this year is really good.
1: <laughs>
0: Hell yeah.
1: So I'm as far as film editing, I'm cool with Towering Inferno taking that one. As you know, as well as good as uh, Sam Osteen did with Chinatown, Towering Inferno. That film is so put together, so meticulously, that it needs like you need a good editor to make that film work.
0: Yeah, th- yeah. I I, th- I think these films are hard to even compare. Yeah, you know. I think I think they're they're obviously doing doing way different things. Towering Inferno is definitely you know it's a disaster movie just like you said it has this really good cast and it works and Chinatown is yeah it's a you know piece of film noir that came out in the 70s years after that kind of style was popular and kind of rejuvenated and was a part of this awesome 70s decade that just was changing the landscape of Hollywood altogether and I totally understand if you want one or the other to win, but when you're talking about just the, the, like you said, the craft of it and the challenge of it, 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 Towering Towering Inferno is dealing with all kinds of shit happening. And that is, that is practical stuff. And then, uh, you know, effects and things that are happening nonstop. And I think um, putting that together in the way they do in a two hour and 45 minute film that doesn't really feel like it, Very impressive. Very, very impressive. I, I was kind of, kind of, kind of blown away by Towering Inferno. I've, I've read mixed things and I've, you know, heard people who really like it, really like it. And the people who don't like it are just like, this is a dumb disaster movie. And no, it's not, it's not a dumb disaster movie. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Newman's kicking ass. So (laughs) get the the hell out of here. Uh, I, I do, I do think you're, you're right. When it's just, when it comes down to it, when you're giving a win out, with these five. It's there's there's not really a, a big comparison here.
1: Well said. Yeah. It's yeah, it's apples and oranges. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Moving on to best sound, we have Chinatown, The Conversation, The Towering Inferno, Young Frankenstein, and the winner A hey. Earthquake. I love that Young Frankenstein gets any kind of love and it gets some decent attention here. Uh I would have had Gene Wilder take best actor if it was my decision, but it's not. <laughs> but it is my yeah, decision this, give it, yeah give it best sound.
0: Yeah. This is your favorite uh, movie of the year. So, um, you know, we did, we did a episode on a film that I'm going to bring up right now that I think is totally fine to be married into this conversation, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, 1974 Horror Icon You know A Awesome Awesome movie And we got to do An episode on it, it was So much fun Over on and Had a blast And we did a You know We did a 1974 You know Tournament If you will And I I set up a bracket For Connor And it was all 1974 flicks That he's That he's seen And um, Fucking young Frankenstein Won that shit <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely so, it's a
1: masterpiece
0: yeah man yeah and 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 Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a masterpiece I, I love that movie man I think it's I think it just belongs in any conversation when you're talking about awesome movies from from the 70s and especially 1974
1: Can you imagine where the like relationship between the Oscars and horror would be today if Texas Chainsaw had gotten like six, seven, eight nominations? <laughs> God. Totally different. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Totally different. I but, wish they'd, yeah. I wish they'd come up together. <laughs> you know, I wish that the Oscars hadn't, you know, haven't shunned horror for so long. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, you know, it's very here and there, you know, very few and far between the nominations, you know, it's like, it'll be a random thing random nomination for whatever technical stuff, or, you know, then something like Rosemary's baby comes out or the exorcist and just kind of collects a bunch of nominations or, or get out. Um, just doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't happen enough for us. And, you know, something that I think would be really, really fun to do is, uh, and I've seen lists like this all over the place. Is just kind of essentially selecting what you would see is like the best picture for whore each year. I think that'd be really cool if you and I just kind of went back and forth from whatever 19, we could go back to the fucking thirties if you want, you know, just like the Academy, go back and pick like what we think is the proper best horror movie of every year. That's something that kind of marries filmgasm and, and Oscar Sunday. That's, that's what we like to do, man, is um, it's not, this the show is, is yes, it's, focusing on Oscar nominated movies, but is not ever going to shun the films that we think are also a part of a greater conversation in cinema and Texas chainsaw massacre is in that conversation. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's uber, uber, uber important. And so many people still just discover it and fall in love with it today. Uh, And you can say the same thing about Chinatown. You can say the same thing about young Frankenstein. You know, I don't know if you can say that about towering Inferno, man. Not a lot of people know about this one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> true but i went in blind and i fell in love with it
0: yeah it can happen it definitely can happen i think i think it could have a reevaluation. towering inferno
1: yeah and i would like to see that
0: yeah um, well, that's that's what we like we like to bring those kinds of you know conversations to the table here and uh we love to see like you said we'd love to see a film like young frankenstein sorry to go on that chainsaw tangent but young we love to see young and frankenstein in the mix that's cool
1: yeah, Young Frankenstein's in my you know, top five favorite film chasm episodes we've ever done because the whole movie is just me almost in character quoting this film and it's us just laughing our asses off the whole time. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I've only seen it twice my entire life. So, you know, I was just having a blast watching you and <laughs> listening to you because you know it basically word for word. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> fantastic. Moving on to costume design. We have hmm. Chinatown. Daisy Miller, The Godfather Part 2, Murder on the Orient Express, and the winner, The Great Gatsby. Uh, This would be The Great Gatsby with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow. Uh, This is an interesting one because they all kind of reflect the same era, like with costume. (laughs) There's not really a lot of variety with costume here. So I don't really know. What about you?
0: yeah i mean you know i haven't seen daisy miller yet it's a peter bogdanovich film that i just haven't haven't checked out but i i think if you're looking at chinatown and great gatsby as kind of like equals in that that regard or a lot of people are in the same clothes chinatown just looks better looks way cooler especially now you know over time it just god damn jack looks fucking awesome the whole movie And, uh, and Faye Dunaway is, got some really cool fashion going on. So I think, yeah, like you said, when you're looking at things that are similar, just choose the better one. Come on. Great Gatsby. Not for me. This is a movie that I just didn't, I don't feel like rewatching this one or the newer one with Leo. I think it's one of Leo's poorest decisions in his entire career. Um, and, And one of those that like, kind of makes me question, like, if he is, you know, like one of the greatest, right. Leo. it's like, dude, you, you you do you do that shit. We talked about this with De Niro one time. And we were like, God damn, he has a lot of just like, what the hell is that? And I think DiCaprio sometimes does that. Not as often because he's he's not nearly as old, but uh I I, I fear that sometimes and I, I think that was one of them. Uh, the beach being another. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think there's I think there's a few here and there.
1: Gatsby for me is just kind of forgettable. It's a story that just I don't think is that good i think it's not you know it's not really relatable it's it's a story about rich assholes betraying other rich assholes like why would i care and you know i just some classic literature i just think has not aged particularly well and we don't like to talk about that
0: yeah uh, yeah of course f, f scott fitzgerald I, I i read that book too and I, I was like this this is entertaining but it's not like i think this side of paradise is way better like of those are the two books I've read of his. And I think one is definitely broader than the other. I think Greg Gatsby is entertaining, but not like no. It well, it wasn't this thing that I was like, I need to see a film.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and, you and know, of
0: course, people disagree. Well,
1: the 2013 film was it was so odd. You know, Baz Luhrmann does that. He takes, you know, modern music and puts it in a period film and tries to make it quirky, but really it just comes off as off putting, I think. And uh, it's just, I saw it once of the movies and didn't really want to look back. I don't really have much. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you in the Gatsby boat. Yeah,
0: uh, just n- not not for me, not for me.
1: But I keep coming back in costume design and this bunch, I keep coming back to Murder on the Orient Express
0: because that movie now that, is pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah, I do like that one. And I I, I, I actually intended on re-watching this uh, throughout this past week, but I just didn't have time. I, I watched Amar Cord, which won Best Foreign Film uh Federico Fellini's movie that that one's really good and then I watched that John Cassavetes film A wonder on a woman under the influence and I just didn't have time but I I do very much want to get to that one at some point just rewatch it and revisit it because I remember digging it a lot um and like you said it's it's got, it's got some really impressive stuff going on fashion-wise
1: well Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot and his whole you know his suit his mustache everyone's very you know Everyone's costume kind of stands out in Murder. So I would give this one to Murder on the Orient Express. I think it's a very well Okay. Mm.
0: I like it. I'll stand by Chinatown, but yeah, I'm just, you know, just I've seen it way more. Yeah.
1: Fair enough. Art direction. We have Chinatown, Earthquake, the island at the top of the world, the towering Inferno, and the winner, The Godfather 2. Godfather 2's production design is pretty fantastic. Uh, recreating you know 1950s Cuba and just this whole world of you know young Vito Corleone's uh little Italy, and just you believe it. Uh, so I got no problem with Godfather 2 taking this one.
0: (sighs) Damn, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna go Chinatown here. I think it's one of the things that I Have definitely fallen in love with after re-watching it a few times. This is really, really difficult. I agree with you. I and I kind of will it'll be similar thoughts that you have with Godfather. I, I agree with you. It'll be similar thoughts for Chinatown. I think setting up anytime LA is set up in a way that makes me kind of just dive into dive into film the way Chinatown does. Whenever I watch it all these things just kind of unfold as i'm watching chinatown you know i'm thinking about everything everything that we've talked about with these individuals you know i'm thinking about the 70s i'm thinking about the landscape and how it's changing and it's because of the way it looks and feels and i i'm you know i'm probably being biased but i'll I'll say i'll give this award to chinatown just for for that reason godfather part two of course you know I'm, I know I'm talking about some people think it's the greatest movie of all time. I definitely disagree. I think the first one might be better. <laughs> so, um, We just, you know, we have Marlon Brando in the, <laughs> in the first one. So yeah, that's a, that's a whole, that's a conversation we can have. And of course we'll always come up because it's a huge film, but I, I do think Chinatown rivals it. And I think it stands right next to it in this category uh, as far as, just affecting you and taking you to a place immediately and not letting you go for over two hours. That's, that's powerful stuff for two movies to do that.
1: Yeah. I just, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Chinatown and Godfather two are, you know, their rivals here at this, at this awards. they were the two and, uh, any award one took the other could have easily taken. I definitely agree with that, but Godfather two <sighs> yeah. for, me, for me anyway, it's just, everything you think about the way that chinatown you know recreates a certain feel of los angeles i see that with godfather too but with like new york and just yes. the way yeah. that they created this believable world for vito corleone to grow up in and become who he became and there's something special about that personally so i i, I lean for the godfather
0: uh, fair enough, man. I'm not I, you know, like I said. I can't argue against that film. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> it's All tough. Right. It's tough. Yeah, they, they're they're very much rivals, and the, they're rivals in the way that you know, like there will be blood and no country for old men. were rivals and just just competing, and that's really cool to see. It's almost like a sport. You got to love it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, this is our you know, this is the Oscars are my fucking Super Bowl. This is this is a sport to me. This is competitive. Like we're doing, we're, no, we're going back. Yeah. This whole podcast is essentially just going back through the stats. <laughs> that's what we're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We won't, we don't, I, I don't want people to forget it just because again, it's documentation of film, you know, it's this shit that's just organized and categorized and you can use it as a reference to watch stuff or whatever you want to do with it. I, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool.
1: Hell yeah, man. With that, let's go over to cinematography. This is, a, this is a tough one to call. We have Chinatown, Earthquake, Lenny, Murder on the Orient Express, and The Winner of the Towering Inferno. And I would have gone to Chinatown immediately with this until I saw Lenny. And mm-hmm. that's my vote. Lenny is so well constructed. It's so well told. And it's the camera work that leads you there. So I definitely go Lenny on this one.
0: You know I have no qualms No qualms at all with that I was kind of waiting for that one to get brought up Uh, For all the glory That Godfather Part 2 And Chinatown have uh, If there's a third one That's saying hey I think it's Lenny I think it's Lenny I think Lenny is the third Bash brother I think I think I think it's a powerful Powerful, powerful movie Experience yeah you know it's an it's it's truly an experience and uh, bob fossey this is what that's what he does right he he is literally trying to take you on a trip it's like his movies are fucking drugs and i i'm obsessed with that you know with with that idea of him really trying to pour everything every single little idea you know into into something and and it kind of works, <laughs> you know, like Lenny is moving like nobody's business, bah, 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 jumping all over the place. And this is a movie that is so hard to fucking find, you know? Yes.
1: Yes. That's my biggest I, I issue hate, with
0: Lenny. Yeah, I hate that. But at the same time, that's th- those, you know, that happened with Norma Ray, you know, and you when you do find, find it and see it, you know, I, I watched it through Criterion and just... I was flabbergasted I didn't move the entire time you know when I turned it on I just kind of sat down in a chair and I was just like whoa <laughs> and this was this is months ago on my own time when I first watched Lenny yeah uh, yeah you, you you know I have no qualms here that that's 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 exactly my vote too. my god <laughs>
1: <laughs> right on yeah it's told almost entirely through close up shots and every shot is important it's really crazy Lenny feels like such an important movie and you know, it is, in my opinion, on paper, it's it's a story about a you know a comic who OD'd when he was forty. But when you look in further, it's a story of a trial of a, a complete like mistrial of justice, in my opinion. Just censorship that that even exists goes against our First Amendment rights, and the fact that he was arrested for obscenity fucking pissed me off royally, and. You know his just desire to tell the truth about society. It's a very important film. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm really glad you were able to uh, able to track it down, watch it. That's yeah, it's it's a good one. I definitely encourage listeners to seek it out. Seek it out. You know it's 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 worth your time. <clears throat> set, you know, set aside a couple hours to
1: indulge in something pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Thank God for voodoo. God, their selection has been so helpful for this podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, having yeah, renting stuff. Yeah, yeah, man, it it'll come and go on Criterion. It's one of those movies that they'll they'll keep putting on there here and there uh, because it is it's it's one of those kind of lost lost little artifacts of the '70s that we uh we very much wanted to bring up here, and we'll we'll continue to as we as we move along.
1: Yeah. This whole thing of you know that it'll be there and then it won't be there, and you don't know when you're going to find it. That whole thing is why I still 100% still believe in buying an actual physical copy of films. Because then you have it forever. Then you don't have to look for it anymore. It's, it's a good feeling. Oh,
0: yeah. Especially with Lenny. Oh, yeah. I want to own this real bad.
1: Like, finding Norma Ray at Half Price Books, I still think about that. <laughs> I still think about I, the odds of finding that. And it's just... Mm. <laughs> yeah, I want to steal that from you.
0: I... <laughs> love that movie yeah yeah Norm Murray is definitely one of those that's falls under the same boat as lenny and for the show or you seek it out you find it and holy shit it's worth it <laughs> so so cool
1: let's jump around to uh original screenplay the one that uh chinatown did win yes um against alice doesn't live here anymore the conversation day for night and harry and tonto so not the films I would have expected over here, but I guess that's because the other films are adapted.
0: <laughs> exactly, um, and and this is this is where I feel like I, I lack most within 1974 and this this uh, 47th Academy Awards is I have not seen Harry and Tonto, I have not seen Day for Night, and I have not seen uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore in a long time. So, uh, yeah, just kind of lacking as far as uh something to say here, Chinatown and conversation. I like both. I would give Chinatown the win slightly over the conversation, but, uh, I I just, I can't speak about the other three. And I, I I hate that.
1: Yeah. I hate that too. But honestly, Chinatown's biggest strength is its story. So I don't see anything beating it anyway.
0: I've heard day for night is real good. And I, I, of course, you know, I want, I want to check that one out. Harry and Tonto, you know, gets the, well, bring that up later because it gets a win a very important win, and i i just that, that blows me away that that so i gotta see it
1: yeah <laughs> and i am you know attempting to cross out my scorsese list once and for all so i do want to check out alice doesn't live here anymore there's only like six of his films i still have to watch
0: that's the hmm. good feeling
1: yeah i haven't done that since uh i think lynch i think he was the last guy i did that um Oh, we still have that one Inland Empire. I still have to watch that. My dad owns that, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. He said he's going to mail it to me so I can.
0: Uh, can You're not going
1: to like it. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) I know. I'm doing another two and a half hours of Lynch just stroking his own fucking ghost dick or some shit. I don't need that. (laughs) But I'm a completionist. I'm going to have to. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. (laughs) Moving to best director. This yes. is, uh, whew, all right, we have Roman Polanski for Chinatown, Francois Truffaut for Day for Night, Bob Fosse for Lenny, John Cassavetes for A Woman Under the Influence, and their winner, Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather Part Two. Christ, I don't even know how you make this decision. I mean, I do not want to give it to Polanski for obvious reasons, but I do think he would have, you know, Coppola deserves this. Coppola deserves this big time. And I think his only rival here, I haven't seen day for night or woman under the influence, but I do think that Bob Fosse did have a a shot at this for Lenny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I think Fosse and uh, Cassavetes. Now, of course um, I've been kind of dying to bring this movie up. Um, (laughs) Ah boy. Two and a half hours of, attack on the senses drama within a family John Cassavetes directing and this guy you know we talked about Mr. John Houston being a guy who can kind of do it all John Cassavetes holy shit this guy can do it all uh, of course we've talked about Rosemary's Baby he's one of the stars of that that film alongside me Farrow. pharaoh and I've recently you know kind of down that road with Cassavetes and I've watched a Mikey and Nikki and, you know, this film, A Woman Under the Influence, starring Jenna Rollins, and it's like, for real, man, it is brutal, you know, so far up my alley that it kind of scared me because I was, you know, trying to pick a movie to watch for this, uh, you know, for extra, just extra perspective on this show, uh, the ceremony, the 47th Academy Awards, and I got on Criterion and I just typed in 1974. And this one and uh, Amar Accord came up and I was like, okay, these are the two, these are the two I'll watch, you know, and Amara Cord actually came out in 1973, but it competed at this Oscars. And uh, both of them, awesome. But a woman on the influence totally deserves this, this nomination. And I, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I've only seen it one time. Uh, But, but I, I think he's in the conversation as well with uh, Fosse and uh, Francis. It is it is not nearly as um. I'll say the scale, the scale is not nearly as high, you know, as, as the Godfather part two, or even Lenny to be, to be quite frank, it is, it is moving inside of our house a lot uh, moves, you know, simple stuff, like some folks riding in a pickup truck, you know, things that we've seen like no bomb back you know, and these modern guys that we kind of have, you know, fallen for that are, Totally, you know, paying homage to guys like Cassavetes who just completely, even when film was weird and changing and doing things differently, he still went against the current and still made things even more weird and different than that. And so you watch something like Chinatown, you're like, damn, they don't make this, make movies like this anymore. Watch a woman under the influence, they really don't make shit like that anymore. They really don't. And what's happening in that movie is... It is incredible for it to happen for two and a half hours and you know i could i could go on and on but but i'll finish it up by saying I, I i watched the film and then i realized that on the criterion channel bill Hader has an adventures and movie going section and he chose one of his movies is a woman under the influence and so i you know watched him it's a little bit little three minute bit where he talks about what he loves about it And I highly recommend people do that. (laughs) It was really cool to see a guy like Bill Hader, who's clearly trying to move into that kind of like creating part of the game um, with TV uh, and, you know, hopefully movies and, and whatnot throughout his career. And to hear him say that is really cool. And as a fan of just things happening now and things that happened then I, you know, I was really, really blown away by this film. And I think it totally belongs in this category. Um, Connor, you you've got to see, gotta see a woman under the influence. It it'll rock you. I think I think it is a little too long. It's two and a half hours, but but I think it, it hits it hits a, a few times. It really, really hits. And it's totally worth the ride, man. I, I can't wait for you to see it.
1: Right on, man. Yeah. Cassavettis. I've heard you talk about him a lot. He's a guy you've really kind of fallen in love with. And I definitely, yeah, I'd like to check out his work for sure.
0: He's fucking cool. You know, he's like. He's he's one of the cool guys of the of the '60s and '70s. That's really, again, going going against the current, even when the current was weird. Awesome, killer.
1: Um, so who is your final pick for director?
0: Oh, Bob Fosse. I think. uh, Yeah, I agree with you that Francis is. The stage here is magnificent, but I think Fosse is doing the most interesting stuff here and the most. unique directing, the most, uh, standalone. It just, it's so distinct. And, uh, yeah, I I give it to him for that. And I think that's why Cassavetes also rivals those two guys. All right. Fair enough.
1: Good. Yeah. I'm still, yeah, I'm still with Coppola. I think Coppola is doing magnificent things with the Godfather too. And he is yeah, yeah. Yeah. telling a story that, you know, two stories at once that flows to flow together so well uh making you hate someone you you know used to love, Michael Corleone, the hero really of the first Godfather, you get to see him become a monster. And it yeah, you believe it. It's yeah, Coppola... I'm glad he took this <laughs> really I'm glad he took it. Mm. Um best actress. oh boy. <laughs> we have. Diane Carroll for Claudine Faye Dunaway for Chinatown Valerie Perrine for Lenny Gina Rollins for A Woman Under the Influence and the winner Ellen Burstyn for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore I wish I'd seen more of these films I just yeah I don't have much to say beyond Chinatown and Lenny mm. yeah, I, I, yeah I, don't, I can't
0: speak for the winner here Ellen Burstyn too much and uh, I can't speak for Miss Carroll for Claudine but uh Faye Dunaway is is wonderful in Chinatown. Yeah. Valerie Perrin is woo, taking on some heavy, heavy shit that Dustin Huffman's putting on. And she's she's going toe-to-toe with him in this movie at times and is quite, quite impressive. And uh Jenna. Jenna is for what I know, she's my pick. I I don't think it's really close. She's definitely what makes a woman under the influence the memorable movie that it is. Uh, sh- I, yeah. I, I don't really even know where to, there's so much happening, what she's doing in that performance. It's like, it's borderline, you know, freaky how, how good it is. The stuff she's doing with her face and the movements, the cadence. I, yeah, I could, couldn't believe it. I, I really, I just really encourage people to, 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 to seek out films like Lenny, a woman on the influence these are these are game changers in the 70s for you know kind of hipsters in the 70s this is the kind of shit they were watching and i think um, i think it's cool to, cool to check that shit out you know
1: yeah definitely there's always you know i love that after the haze code was abolished you finally got to see people experiment and yes exactly the yes. 60s and 70s are full of experimentation and there's films that not a lot of people know about that are, you know, deserve to be watched. I hadn't seen, you know, Lenny, I'd never seen it. And now I think it's fantastic. It does take, you know, watching the movie. to finally appreciate all this shit. It really does. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Just
0: set us that a couple hours
1: and appreciate the craft. And yeah, you just,
0: it, 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 opens up a can of worms, opens up doors for you to just kind of learn stuff, seek things out. And, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it, it can, it can change you, you know, it can alter the way you, you know, feel about stuff. If you watch enough and see the right stuff. And I, I, I truly believe that I feel, I really feel that way. And I think this award show just offers so
1: much amazing cinema. It really does. It really does. My vote goes to Faye Dunaway uh, for a number of reasons, mostly because she's not playing who you think she's playing. At the end of this film, you're, treated to a number of revelations and you have to look back at the, at the performance Faye Dunaway is giving and you see so much secret pain, so much hidden, just horrible shit. She's buried. And knowing that it makes her performance so fucking layered and so impossible to ignore A, a second, third viewing of this film really makes you appreciate Faye Dunaway more than anybody, I think. And I, yeah, I wish she, I'm glad she won it eventually for Network, but I, I wish she'd taken it for this. I
0: feel you on that. I feel you. I love Faye, man. She's awesome, awesome actress. And another person I can't wait to just keep seeing, you know, keep seeing, keep discovering roles that she's done. I I have no problem with, if she would have won, I had no problem. I, yeah, I, I, you know, like you said, I wish we had more, um, you know, perspective on this this category. Uh, certainly Ellen Burstyn is someone that we believe in. <laughs> yes. And uh, so, yeah, I, I I totally understand that she won. And uh, I think it's just past due for me to to watch that movie. And like you said, it's one of
1: the last six you need to see of Scorsese's work. So, well, maybe we'll do it on the show one day. Yes, indeed. That's the cool thing about this show. Anything goes as long as it's got that. Exactly. Nomination. Yep. Now let's get to the one that is the most unbelievable of this entire Oscars best actor we have Albert Finney for murder on the Orient Express Dustin Hoffman for Lenny Jack Nicholson for Chinatown Al Pacino for the Godfather part two and the winner Art Carney for Harry and Tonto (laughs) so I've not seen Harry and Tonto but I can tell you right now this is wrong (laughs) I mean Christ yeah
0: yeah um I'd I don't even don't even know what to say here. This is one of those uh, stacked, stacked categories where you have some some titans of the game all in one year, you know. In in their prime too. You know, yeah. we got we have three guys who are kind of a part of a class, right? I mean, you look at look at actors and you know their generations and whatnot, and Dustin Hoffman, Jack Nicholson, and Al Pacino are certainly looked at as on this whole another level, and I think Albert Finney is a name that is is a tier below. Like not everybody knows exactly who he is, like like those other three, but he's right there. His skill is there, I believe his talent is there, but but I don't think the general you know public knows his name like those other three guys.
1: True, but it's, the people who it's do a know powerful Albert, generation. But the people who do know Albert Finney, they respect the hell out of his craft and they, they know yeah. what he's capable of no his
0: I think his skill level is just as high as the other three uh, I don't I think there's a lot of guys who belong in that conversation but as far as recognition um, people can name Dustin Hoffman movies like that Jack Nicholson Al Pacino these are kind of titans of the game Hollywood like monsters Albert, yeah. Finney is an act- Albert Finney is an actor. Albert Finney is an actor. I I really find it hard to believe that Art Carney is doing anything in Harry and Tonto that is justified as whatever. It's hard to say this but better acting than you know Michael Corleone <laughs> or 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 Lenny Bruce or JJ Giddies. I just don't believe it. I don't really believe it. Or even Hercules, you know, even even Albert Finney, I would give the win over this for sure. And I, I think all four of them do just a great job. And I, I apparently need to see fucking Harry and Tonto. <laughs>
1: yeah, it could be the most incredible performance we've ever seen. It could be. Yeah, It has to be to beat those four guys. <laughs> but to me, this was the Oscar Al Pacino should have taken home. This is the one he absolutely should have had or Michael Corleone. And that's really all there is to it for me. I love Jack, but Al Pacino became Al Pacino because of this movie. Like, this is the movie that made him the powerhouse, super respected titan of an actor that he became. And it's a well-deserved accolade. And uh, yeah, I just really wish that the record reflected that.
0: Ah, I, I hear you And I think I Agree with you on every Front except that I think Dustin Hoffman Should have won <laughs> uh, Al Pacino Agreed is you know you have Serpico wedged in Between Godfather Godfather Part 2 And then the dude just boom Just explodes into a whole new Stratosphere I, There's no disputing that But if I'm giving the award out, I think Justin Hoffman is uh, going to going to the greatest lengths here out of this group, from what I've seen, and <clears throat> gets pretty gets pretty scary what he's doing, uh, um, embodying this this real person, pretty freaky. And Al Pacino, maybe it's because I've like, it's not even his fault. It's like The Godfather Part Two maybe this is something I'm just kind of learning as the show goes along is like, I, I love it. I think maybe people who are listening think I don't love it <laughs> because I'm not giving any of the awards to it. I just think, I think maybe it has a similar thing that like um, something newer, like fight club, which just kind of been around my life kind of for a long time. And maybe I get too used to it. Maybe I take it for granted. Maybe, maybe I don't, quite realize you know when i'm watching these 74 movies for the first time and i'm recognizing their greatness at age 25 whereas the godfather's just kind of been there maybe maybe i've a little bit taken that for granted that's very possible um and i think that's something that i'll always kind of battle with and reckon with in in my movie mind you know when you watch something new you know I know this is something I thought about when I watched once upon a time in Hollywood, I was like, for a second, I was like, best Tarantino movie ever. And you need to just like, calm down, you know, you need to watch movies, you know, multiple times. And so maybe that's where my, my brain is at is kind of like, I've seen Lenny twice and I've seen Godfather part two a lot, <laughs> uh, a lot of times and maybe because it's fresher, maybe that's why I right now like the performance more in Lenny from Dustin Hoffman but there's no way for me to justify it being better than what Al Pacino is doing. You know what I mean?
1: You broke my heart, Austin. You broke my heart. (laughs) No, I get, I totally get what you're saying. (laughs) Godfather two has its, has its audience. It's there's a people, there's a lot of people who say it's the definitive one of the franchise. It's the greatest movie of all time. I don't think so. I think, you know, Godfather one's a 10 Godfather two's an eight. I think Godfather two is way too long. I think it has some drag moments. I think it's a little confusing at times. Yeah, no no arguments there. I totally understand that. And Dustin Hoffman's doing amazing work in Lenny. He really is transforming. And it's it's it really is just this year is so fucking tough to pick a winner. It's everyone was a was a winner. Everyone was worthy of a statue this year. It's insane. It's it, it, you know we we're, we're going to run into this almost
0: every year in the 70s is like whoa 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 you know we we did a really fun episode on five easy pieces where we got to talk about that and Patton um the other nominees for best picture that year not the best but those two movies are awesome and then as you move into the 70s it just gets better and better and we did of course we did Kramer's Kramer um 1979 best picture winner and we both felt strongly about all five of those films pretty much the same way we feel strongly about these five films. And that's, that's fucking special, man. That's rewarding. When you are, are as obsessed with this stuff as we are and kind of tracking it and seeing what it's all about and seeing how much money it made, seeing what, what it was recognized with and who won that and, you know, duh, 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 and how it affected their careers. When you, like you said, the most important thing is watching the films. Right. And when you do that and you do it with, with these and you get, You get a, you essentially get a high fucking five, like, Hey, the art's actually really good too. You know, you're going to, you're going to have a good time while doing it. It's not going to just be some kind of homework. It's going to be fun because at the end of the day, sitting down and being in the thick of, you know, in the middle of Lenny is like, that's what I live for. (laughs) You know, being in the middle of the conversation, you know, being in the middle of godfather part two and saying god this is i actually think this is a little too long you know all of those things i love that stuff all all of those little surrounding conversations and this is why we do it so it's a great way to distract ourselves
1: <laughs> oh yeah absolutely god knows we need some of that, um, yeah. that let's, yeah. let's go to best picture this is going to be a very interesting discussion here we've got <sighs> chinatown the conversation lenny the towering inferno and the winner, The Godfather Part 2. This is a year where any of those five could have taken this. And, uh, yeah, thoughts?
0: <laughs> well, Towering Inferno, really good. Lenny, really good. Conversation, really good. Chinatown, absolute classic. And Godfather Part 2, really good. My vote is Chinatown for this award. But like you said hide any of these one I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset at all I wouldn't be like oh that's stupid but it does make sense that Godfather part 1 and 2 one you know you know 72 and 74 it, it it makes sense and I'm I'm cool with that you got the sting wedged in between awesome movie can't wait to do that one day I'm I'm cool with that in for like cinematic history and and, and all I, I think it's kind of cool that Godfather one and two both one best picture i think it looks kind of clean right when you look down the line you're like ah oh, hell yeah that's a fucking you know awesome film and then a sequel that's that's pretty special to see but i think china town's the better movie my man <laughs> i really do um and i th- i think i have a guess where you're gonna go with this i i actually think you're gonna take a left turn on, on-, on the audience here um I don't think it's the conversation and I don't think it's Lenny. I think the towering Inferno is your horse. (laughs)
1: Well, so of this, (laughs) I do think the weakest film is the conversation, but that is only because I've seen it once. And it just, to me, it does not stand on the rest of these films, but it's still an eight. It's (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) It's so
0: good. Gene Hackman is fucking awesome in it. Yeah. Cool. Cool film.
1: To me, that spot should be taken by young Frankenstein. <laughs> That's what I would give best picture to if I had, you know, the whole year to pick from. But of these five, I, um, I too would go Chinatown.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, didn't think, I, I didn't think, I didn't think, I didn't think, because I, you know, I, I got to be honest here. I, I read, I've read your reviews here and I know you gave Towering Inferno, what was it, a nine? yes yeah so i want you to i would give it an eight personally i think it has i think it's very very good mm-hmm. very, very good but i think the towering inferno had a couple of things that i like like just kind of maybe i like looked into and i, I just kind of maybe maybe you can you know help me out here um it'd be fred astaire's character yeah his name is harley I, harley i believe Mm -hmm. so his 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 character i see as kind of a
1: pointless
0: (laughs) yeah very very and the girl pays while he lives and i uh yeah it's kind of like i was kind of like what's the like i don't maybe i like looked into it too deep but i was just like what's the point of this character he's up for he's up for best supporting actor and there's a lot of cool other cool shit happening how OJ Simpson's character is more interesting. So like, yeah. I, I don't know, man, I, I really enjoyed it. I I really was, was pretty locked in the whole time. I think there's like a couple moments where I could see it dragging, but it didn't for me. It kind of was like, Oh shit. No, it kind of picked back up and just awesome. Again, awesome film editing there. But, but there, yeah, there's just like a couple of things like that narrative wise that I was just kind of like, ah, I, was, I, I don't know about that. Like symbolism wise, I don't know. And because it, it, it was for sure operating as a disaster film and it certainly had its place for here's the heroes and here's the people who like are are definitely not trying to help. And sometimes it felt like it didn't know exactly who was good and who was bad and who was pointless. <laughs> uh, but, but man, overall, I was very impressed and I'm really glad I finally got to see it because I've kind of like you know, I, I look over this shit all the time. And, you know, I've always seen Towering Inferno was at the bottom of here at the category. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> you know, what is the Towering Inferno? You know, I've heard things about these other movies. I know Lenny's this, you know, Dustin Hoffman movie that nobody can fucking get to. But Towering Inferno was one where I was like, what is that? You know, just kind of like always, I'm glad I finally have it. It's, you know, and it's something I really enjoyed. And Paul Newman, you gorgeous son of a bitch, man. <laughs> He's, he he is, he is, he is, The exact same for me as I feel about Brad Pitt. I'll watch that guy all damn day.
1: (laughs) For sure. The Towering Inferno for me is the ultimate consequence of man's hubris. It's the ultimate, this is the bed you made, now fucking burn in it. You fucked up, you cut corners, and now everything you care about is going to die. Regardless of whether or not these are good people or bad people, these are just people trapped in a monstrous nightmare situation. And that's the vibe I got from this movie is this could happen to anybody at any time. If you're in a building that's fucking wired incorrectly. So I didn't see it as like a character driven movie. That's very much an effects driven movie. And I'm okay with that. I judged it by the way it made me feel and the the way it made me react. I was Like I had my heart, my heart was racing at times. I was like on the edge. I was literally on the edge of my seat. Like, oh shit, are they going to make it? Like, I cared, and that is a huge sign of a great movie to me. If it can make me actually like react like that physically, then I know I'm watching something special. And the Towering Inferno did that.
0: Hell yeah, I love that. Oh, so intense at times. Jesus,
1: beautiful. My review of Chinatown. I wrote almost seven years ago my sophomore year of college the first time i watched chinatown i have intentions to write a new review in the way i feel about it today and i still think i think it deserves best picture over the godfather 2 i think chinatown's a more complete film a more streamlined film a more risky film and I think it is trying something new while also celebrating what came before. And that's what that's all the landmarks of a great of a great movie that deserves best picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you, man. I think I kind of agree with you on all accounts here. I think the conversation is is the weakest link, but it is not weak. Yeah. And I think I think Towering Inferno, Lenny, and Godfather all have something to say. But I think Chinatown is just it's superior. It it moves moves like fucking silk at times, like and like you said, with, with the occasional shout-out and homage to, you know, old Hollywood. And I that's like what it's all about, you know, with the with the Oscars. The Oscars certainly love to celebrate that. So I, I bet it was really tough, you know, in the room, you know, you're voting and it's like, damn, this movie that just kind of celebrates what movie making is, you know, and then godfather part two which is just in most people's eyes like you said one of the you know five or ten greatest films of all time so it's it's one of the years where it's a legitimate race and you know this kind of concludes our 47th academy awards talk as far as you know bringing all these films up um it it is just a, a stacked year it's like a year a, a year, a year that people should 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 research, you know, and just yeah. kind of check out random stuff.
1: It's like you've got five hundred dollar bills, but one of them's a bit crumpled. You've still got a hundred bucks. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's the way I look at. It.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think they're all solid. Um, I think if I, you know, we'll we'll go through them just kind of like let's get like a proper ranking for each of us, since we definitely think Chinatown's the winner. Who would be second place?
1: Or what would be second place? Um, Second place for me is Towering Inferno.
0: Okay, I think I would go Lenny, number two. And then I go, oh, man. Between Godfather (laughs) Part Two and Towering Inferno for three and four is very tough for me. Fair enough. My I, I, think, I, I think I'd I think go Towering Inferno 3, Godfather Part 2, 4, and Conversation 5.
1: I would go, all right, so 1 to 5, we've got, for me, Chinatown, Towering Inferno, Godfather 2, Lenny, The Conversation.
0: Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, our 2, 3, 2, 3, and 4 are different, but our 1 and 5 are the same. Okay, yeah. that makes sense, you know, kind of the meat of it. Uh, yeah, man, I had so much fun just kind of living in 1974 for a little bit. Um, you know, Amar Kord, I feel like I didn't talk about it enough It is basically like an autobiographical film Directed by, written, directed by Federico Fellini If the guy, his, his, you know Legacy speaks for itself I've only seen two of his films now Which would be that, uh, Amar Kord and uh, Eight and a Half Both of them kind of kind of shocked me And I understand why he has the, you know Acclaim that he does And I'll definitely continue to look through his stuff Because he he's not only is he looked at as, you know, like the greatest Italian director of all time, but he's, you know, got a shit ton of Oscar nominations, uh, directing and writing. And La Strada is the first proper um, film to win best foreign film. So I think it'd be cool to, you know, to do that one day. And I think Amar Accord would be a film that we could, uh, you know, rewatch and talk about. Um, it's really good stuff, man. This, this year is riddled. This year is riddled with cool shit.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: Yes, indeed. I 10. love it, man. Um, I I want to ask you, what is your rating of Chinatown? Before we give our awards out for Chinatown, what's your actual number rating for Chinatown? I, I, it's obviously a ten for me. I, I you know I kind of, it's like one of my ten or twenty favorite favorite movies of all time. So yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I think it it's been an eight for a very long time, but this most recent watch really had me kind of analyzing it in a new light and understanding new things about this film. And I think it's, I think it's time. I, I think I'm pushing it over to a nine.
0: Hell yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I like to hear that. <laughs> Beautiful, That's awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, this is, you know, the best part of the show here. Giving out, giving out the Tarantino, giving out the Inyo, giving out the PSH, giving out the Deacons. This is, this is what we love to do. We love to give out awards of our own for a specific film. And of course, Chinatown is the subject today. Um, Tarantino, if this is your first time, again, thank you. Uh, the Tarantino Award is for Best Quote or Best Line. Uh, the Ennio Morricone Award is for Best Music Moment or Best Needle Drop, or what have you. Uh, the PSH, Philip Seymour Hoffman Award is for the Best Performance of the Film. And the Roger Deakins Award is for the Best Moment or Best Scene. Connor, take it away with your Tarantino.
1: This one... Took me, I, I had a couple, and then... No, no kidding, yeah. <laughs> a, a line towards the end scared me. And I thought, shit, I'm putting that down. And it's said by Noah Cross when, oh, yeah. <laughs> when Jake confronts him about killing Hollis and the whole situation with Evelyn. And the way Noah justifies all this is one of the scariest quotes I've ever heard in a film. And he says, see, Mr. Gitz, most people never have to face the fact that at the right time and the right place, they're capable of anything. And it's the way he pronounces that last word. He like whisper screams it at Jack. And it's fucking terrifying. Like this guy's a monster. And I love that line so much because it basically describes his entire philosophy of like, if I have opportunity, I will fuck up whatever I want. It's It's, yeah, terrifying.
0: Yeah, and you know the character is a guy who wants to control water. I mean that is evil in itself. You know, a thing we need to survive. Ah, Noah Cross, John Houston has one of my favorite like heat check performances. You know, where a, a movie that I watch that's you know more a more modern film. You know, A History of Violence. You know, William Hurt has this just. Abrupt, fucking badass, like bam, right in your face, uh, performance. Right, you know, at the end of the of that film, and I feel similarly about this this uh, this John Houston performance, where he's just kind of as cross. He just pops up in these moments, and you don't need him for long because he is pure, pure evil. Oh man, yeah, great, great pick, man. I certainly, as the film was ending, um, a couple of things he says just kind of. It's kind of rung in my brain. He's absolutely frightening you know, and we might be talking about him later. <laughs> he's, he, he, he's damn good. Uh, my Tarantino goes to, goes to Mr. Jack Nicholson, um, you know, as, as Jake Giddeys uh, he, he's speaking to Lieutenant Escobar. <laughs> They're having a bit of a bit of an argument. It's, it's later in the film and you know, things are heating up in, in you know, the case, that Giddys is, you know, quite frankly, he's just chasing, chasing something that's right in front of him. Right. You know, and, and um, you know, he's, he's speaking to Escobar and he says, I don't think I need a day or two. You're dumber than you think. I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man. And it, you talked about John Houston's, you know, delivery on certain words that's, that's Jack's game. That's what Jack's lived off of is, is a, is a common sentence, Spoken by me is one thing, but a common sentence spoken by Jack Nicholson is a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother ball game. Um, it's in a different sport, <laughs> you know, so. I was blown away. Even more at this time, rewatching it than ever with his, his cadence, Jack Nicholson uh, in that same scene, he talks about why his nose is the way it is. And it's because, you know, well, your wife crossed your legs a little too quick. <laughs> you know what I mean, pal? The way he says "pal" is like, "Oh my God, it's Jack Torrance! Jesus Christ!" um He's created a canon of performances, Jack Nicholson. That there's about a thousand quotes. You ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> all of these things you can look at. You can look right here in Chinatown. He's perfecting all of it in this movie, figuring it all out. And he's like, "I'm about to unleash this shit." I <laughs> I live 300 yards away from 4,000 Cubans who are trained to kill me. <laughs> uh, he's setting up a career with this movie, um, with his early 70s run that is so special. Maybe the best ever. And one of my favorite quotes that I, I, I've kind of held on to. this one. I don't think I need a day or two. You're dumber than you think I think you are. <laughs> I've always wanted to put that on a shirt. It's, it's a great line. <laughs> That's my Tarantino.
1: Fantastic. I almost, uh, I almost went with that exchange for my, uh, for my Tarantino as well. It was the setup <laughs> where I don't remember the exact dialogue, but uh, Escobar tells him like, maybe you should, like take a like, you think I'm stupid like to take a week to decide or something. He's like I don't need a week or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. there was a whole thing. I let that whole exchange fucking perfect. Um, yeah, it's
0: brilliant. Yeah, it's 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 very cunning and yeah, these two guys are just like oh, I'm you're just fucking peacock in that shit it's hilarious
1: yeah it's it's wonderful um I had um before it was uh, another thing Noah Noah Cross said when they first met I'm trying to find it in the quotes here uh all right yeah he said of course I'm respectable I'm old politicians ugly buildings and horrors all get respectable if they last long enough I almost had that one.
0: Unbelievable. Again, the delivery on that one is, yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible from Mr. Houston. Oh, it's
1: beautiful. All right, here's the, yeah, I fucked up the other line I was going to say. So Escobar says, you must really think I'm stupid, don't you, us? And Giddes says, I don't think about it that much, but give me a day or two and I'll get back to you. <laughs> God, yeah, Jack is at his best when he's playing a smartass.
0: I don't think i need a day or two yeah <laughs> when he's telling when he's telling the joke and fade Dunaway away is right behind him i mean
1: unbelievable dude the laugh there it's the fucking joker pure joker right That that laugh is the joker's laugh <laughs> he he's i
0: can't remember the, the fellow's name but he, he i think his name's russell he's like god russell why are you in such a goddamn hurry all the time <laughs> it's like let me tell you the joke calm down come on god he yeah i mean you know where i stand with 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 jack is like i i truly don't know which of the three jack torrance mcmurphy and and then right here as giddy's i really don't know which one i liked the most he's just so fucking good in all three i there's not an actor i feel that the same way about with three films that are just i don't know I truly don't know which one I like the most. I, I they rotate after wh- whichever one I watched last. <laughs> you know, it's it's an amazing amazing thing to experience as a fan to to really. He has all this acclaim, of course, but to really latch onto the work is is something else.
1: He really is committed. Even in goofy shit like Mars Attacks, you know he's yes yes he's doing a dual role performance as the president and this dumbass casino owner you believe it it's, it's just his commitment is unmatched he he's got a few paycheck gigs throughout his career but not many and even in the paycheck gigs yeah he delivers he's one of those yeah he's one of those guys
0: yeah man i well the dude obviously could talk about him all day um and he he also may get brought up again uh the ennio Morcone award this is uh we bring up a uh, jerry goldsmith again he's just a Awesome name that I'm, I'm glad we're able to bring up on this, this episode specifically. And his work on here is uh, <laughs> captivating, to
1: say the least. Good Lord. It is remarkable. And um, he ha- he pretty much, he had me at hello. My my music moment is literally the opening credits. Fair enough. <laughs> you could, this, honestly, you could just put the DVD on. Like, I have this on Blu-ray.
0: You know, I could just put it on and just leave it on, like, the the, the main menu screen. Just let it play. I'll fall asleep. It's just <laughs> such a gorgeous, yeah, great, great choice. You can't go wrong.
1: Beautiful. It reminds me so much of a you know, 40s gangster film. Like I feel, I can picture, you know, Bogey and Bacall driving down sunset to this music. And it's, it's beautiful. I love that. Those little nods that celebrate, you know, let the audience know this is a love letter to a bygone era. And that's just the best.
0: beautiful beautiful i love it uh you can't go wrong you can't go wrong i listened to this entire score uh at work today just to kind of you know it was made me feel good you know i was able to just kind of do some some busy type work and just kind of zone out for a little bit and that that was really special it was cool because like you said it reminds you of a specific thing about cinema and take me there, take me there, you know, over and over and over again. You brought up, you know, forties. It's, it's an, it's an era that I don't know enough about, but it's certainly an era I've been trying to explore you and I both. And we're really open to doing that through this show. And then now just on our own, you know, we just want to do that. We want to see more stuff from different decades and for Chinatown to kind of be this timeless thing where you don't know what year it came out, you know, when when you watch it, you know, with everything's fucking got all these different editions and Blu-ray and all this stuff and 4K and everything looks so beautiful. I, I have like no idea what your China Chinatown came out until I, you know, until I know. Um and that that's a testament to the sound and the feeling that you have, you know, when when all those things are happening at once. And that's so damn special. That's that's because of the piece you chose. And I think if you're gonna give an Inyo, I think that's the piece that it get that, that should get it. Um, I wrote down the same thing but I also wrote down another one in case you chose it <laughs> so uh, I'll go with uh, what I think is the most frightening piece of score within the film that's the, um, the title of that piece is The Captive and it is the moment that Noah Cross is like give me the motherfucking glasses you know um, and you, you, the music gets very intense it, it heightens to a, to a whole different degree that we haven't seen yet and then the movie gets very dark fast and then ends dark fast and i i feel like the captive it's right there at you got about 10 minutes left in the film and the captive plays and noah cross isn't is in control and you're like oh my god no like no 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 like giddy's is not in control of the situation anymore and it's it's very frustrating and unforgiving and one of the reasons the movie still stands so strong because it it holds on to that it holds on to being different and taking those left turns. And I love that, man. I love that so much. And I think the captive sends it on that way. It's the piece of score that kind of changes direction in the entire film. And I I love that, that touch. So cool.
1: Hell yeah, man. Yeah. It is a huge sudden left turn and it does not hold back in those last 10 minutes. It is unreal how far this movie sinks to just upset you. Yeah. Just (laughs) defeated incredibly defeated and it's this whole idea of chinatown being the place where bad things go the place where bad things happen the place where jake has no control that's why the last 10 minutes of this film takes place in chinatown because it represents a dark place that jake's been trying to get out of his for the last like 10 something years and now he's back in that dark place and this is something he'll never get over
0: yeah man Ugh. incredible you know, stuff and of course of course that is something that's been so influential in film for, for, you know, for the past fucking 45 years is, is that exact thing that a, a character goes through. And when the, the director or filmmaker writer, whoever decides to not show us that past to not give us an insight into that past that we just, he's just a troubled soul that there's an actual place that causes him harm. And that's, that's like, we love that. We love that as audience members with, with our, our hero. If there's a place that's like, Oh fuck. You know, it's like, yeah, but you got to go there, bitch. (laughs) You know, like, you know, for bat, like in Batman, you know, something that's, you know, huge and really popular nowadays is like that moment in dark Knight rises when it's like, I got to go back to Gotham and take care of shit. You know, it's like those moments we live for that shit. We live for it. And even if it's not a fun revisit, we still, we want it. We want them to go, go back home, go take on this challenge go back to this former place. And with Giddy's, we don't even know, man, we don't even know why he hates it. <laughs> and that wonder that, that kind of, that leaves you, leaves, leaves it to the imagination. It's um, something that's so cool. And of course, something that's going to get kind of get messed with, you know, David Fincher has been in talks to do something with a, you know, a prequel to, to the Giddy's character, you know, something's going to happen, you know uh, it's just too, pristine of a movie to not be touched in the future (laughs) someone's gonna mess with it and if it's gonna be messed with i I would hope someone like fincher does it
1: (laughs) yeah Mm, i can't say i'm looking forward to that i like the mystery i don't know if
0: it's true i don't know if it's true i just i I, it's been a rumor for for some time
1: i've heard that too i've heard that they've they've talked about doing a prequel to chinatown yeah but the whole idea of him just having a dark past him knowing knowing He was in a bad place. Bad shit happened and it was his fault. And he's been trying in his own way to kind of make amends for for that. And that's why he's so invested in solving this murder. Is he wants to do something right. And to take that away from him is so emotionally devastating. We're not, you know, we're not used to that. We're used to everything working out. But to have that snatched away really makes this film unforgettable.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, that just right there. This where this conversation went. Just out of talking about music moments, <laughs> how impactful, how impactful a touch, a, a you know, a decision in, in in Chinatown, how it just affects the entire, you know, product altogether, and how you and I have totally, you know, put on a new lens when we're watching these films, and we're really trying to see this stuff. We're trying trying to catch it and uh you know see it before see it before we read it you know we're trying to like really witness it witness the film witness the artwork first and, and I'm I, you know I've been really appreciating that I've been really digging that journey and Chinatown is just it's like one of the you know more influential and powerful films we've covered on this show you know we've we've done Citizen Kane you know We've done some big stuff, you know. I, I think I think Chinatown's right there, you know.
1: For sure, yeah. This is a big one. This is a people look back on this one as one of the top ten, you know, top twenty-five of all time. There's an argument made for that, and yeah, uh,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. It it was hugely influential to the not just the careers of everyone involved, but to what you know films would come out in the eighties. People, you know, I'd say you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, huge influence, like from Chinatown, you know. Eddie Valiant is a car, you know, he's a, he's Jake Gittes. If he worked around cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah.
0: So exactly. Love <laughs> gotta love it. Yeah. Gotta love it, man. Uh, this is always a, a fun award to give out, even if we just totally agree or totally disagree the Philip Seymour Hoffman award. This is for, you know, what we see as the best performance, someone who kind of won the movie, stole the movie. Um, wh- who do you got?
1: I think you should go first on this one,
0: <laughs> okay, that's fair. um, you know, I thought about a lot of people just not, I'm not just talking i i I damn near was like gonna get cute and you know give it to someone involved that's not even an actor, but then I was like, no, that's not what the awards for. it's a performance award. <laughs> Don't be stupid, austin um that's what the that's what the whole show is for is to recognize multiple people. This award is for the best performance. Again, I thought about a few people here, but I would be stupid to not give it to Jack Nicholson, to not give it to 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 Giddys, this guy who from the from the get go dealing with Curly <clears throat> to the end, the devastation he sees and that he pro, you know has to process and deal with, and him just walking off like in the middle of a crowd. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I would be trying to be too cute if I didn't personally choose him. He's just this is a role and performance that's been very very dear to my heart uh, since the day I saw it, and uh, I love what Faye Dunaway is doing. I love what John Huston's doing, but I think I think Jack is uh, is kind of the king of this one.
1: No argument here. He's yeah. This is this is his movie above above all else, and it's uh, it's an amazing performance. He's smarmy. He's an asshole, but you like him. And yeah. that's, that's his shtick. That's what Jack's been doing his whole career is playing dicks you can't help but like. <laughs> and I love that. But to me, it's Faye Dunaway. Wow. Okay. I love it. I love it. Let's hear it. <laughs> the character of Evelyn Mulray is a broken woman. She's a shattered woman who's been abused in the worst way possible you know raped by her own father and forced to bear his child i mean what the fuck but there's such strength in that character that she's unwilling to give up she wants to solve her her husband's murder she wants to take care of her sister daughter and you believe that she can do it you believe that she's strong enough to overcome this and to the very end you believe that until. Cops blow her brains out It's it's such a Strong performance because like I said Earlier you know you you Think about what you've seen Up to this point when you find out about The big revelation And a second third watch shows you Just how strong she is And what she's fighting at All times to Just stand up and do something And I, I respect The hell out of that I respect the layered performance And I'm blown away by how effortless Faye Dunaway makes it look.
0: Ah oh, man, I love it. I love it. I think that's that's a that's great insight. That's a great way to see this performance. And I, I think, you know, even personally, you you do get kind of, you know, distracted by how Jack gets all this praise and is this, you know, just superstar. But what Faye is doing, and you know, we've we've kind of we've brought it up a few times, just her her facial expressions alone are so authentic and so goddamn real. Um, Faye done away for the win this week. How about that towering inferno and, and, and Chinatown? So cool.
1: It just looks like at all times she's like using every last bit of energy she has just to stand up and face people. Like she could break at any moment, but she's choosing not to. It's I love that strength. So yeah, I couldn't I couldn't ignore that.
0: I, I love it. That's what this that's what the award's all about. We uh, did something similar on our apartment episode where I chose Jack Lemmon. You Jack Lemmon, you chose Shirley MacLaine. You know, and we both saw that they were both essential to the film, just being what it is, uh, and that chemistry being there. That's really cool. Uh, well, the award of the night. The Deacons, the Roger Deacons. Oh man, this is gonna be fun. What 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 do you think? What do you see as the best scene
1: of this of this movie? To so me, hard. yeah. To me, it's no contest. It's the ending. It's okay. the last from Noah Cross showing up to confront Gittis to us just b- walking away from the carnage. That bit is perfection. It def- it's the definitive part of the movie where shit gets real so quick and it goes, it it gets so out of control and it's really sad to see this happen. And you feel for Jake, you know, you're like, you're with him. You're like, he almost had it. He almost escaped Chinatown, but you can't escape Chinatown. And that's, that's the whole point of this. Like bad shit is always going to follow you. You can never get away from that no matter how much you fight it. In this city, the best thing you can do is fight through it. And Jake's going to have to figure out how to do that. Only in L.A. Only in (laughs) L.A., regardless of time period in L.A.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. No arguments here. Um, You know, I think that is the peak of this movie. And I think it's when you look at it. For history's sake, with with cinema, I think Chinatown has a lot to offer, but its finale is the most unique thing that it has to offer, uh, most kind of like progressive thing it has to offer for film. Yeah, where it does have that kind of slap in your face ending that doesn't allow you to go out of the theater like haha ha, all right. It's very you know it's relentless, and I I chose something that you know when you watch a movie that is you you know subconsciously you know this is this is one of my favorite movies and so when i was re-watching chinatown for this for this for this episode i very much was questioning and playing with things in my head of what is it what what are the moments in this movie that not only do I see as, oh, yeah, that's cinematically just to like, oh, that's really special. But what are the moments in the movie that that push me to the edge of my seat and make me kind of like, wait a minute, you know, this is filmmaking where you kind of forget, kind of forget what you're doing, kind of forget that you're in the middle of a two hour film. And for me, this time around, and it's something that I just going to you know hold on to now every time I watch it is when Giddys and uh, Evelyn sleep together and she gets a phone call. And first off, incredible stuff from Faye Dunaway uh, on that phone call. And she, she immediately is like, I have to leave. You know, I have to get up, but I need you to stay here. You know, it's telling Giddies, "I, I need you here. And he's like, not having it clearly, you know, clearly this is not cool. Where are you going? She goes into the restroom. When, he, when she goes in the restroom, he puts his cigarette out and there's a, just a real nice a real nice shot from behind the bed of Jack as, as he gets up, puts his pants on, puts his shoes on, and the camera is always moving into whatever's the most interesting thing. Uh, like when he puts his shoes on, it immediately goes to, goes to his feet, you know, and then he slides them on and then he goes outside with no shirt on, you know, his hair's kind of sticking up like Jack Nicholson's hair always does. And then he, you know, proceeds to knock out one of the little mirrors in, in her car in Evelyn's car. Well, it's actually Evelyn's husband's car. And he's going to decide to, you know, take these keys and he's going to follow her wherever she's going to go. And all of that leading up to him actually getting in the car because there's a hard cut. There's a hard cut. Cause we know as the audience, what's going on, we know what's about to happen. The jig, you know, it's up, the jig is up, you know, and, the music heightens and then we have a a nice shot straight into him in his car and it's him right behind him. And you see the rear view mirror and you can barely see Evelyn's car, you know, just up ahead. And then they get to where Evelyn's going. And that's when you start finding out more stuff about this other character who is posing as, as Evelyn earlier in the movie. And when that happens and you have the classic noir moment of Giddys is looking through the window as she's going through different rooms. So Faye Dunaway's character is in this house. And so Evelyn is moving and Giddys moves with her from outside the house. And it is, that is like prime time, like spy shit, you know, on a stakeout, all, all of these things that you just get like intense intensity thrilling you know all these different words that you love about about movies it happens right here in this kind of eight to ten minute span in in really really awesome fashion i just i I held on to that moment from him kind of putting out the cigarette to you know figuring out what he's got to do to follow her get into this other car and to getting to the spot and kind of being like oh i think i know what's going on he actually has no idea what's going on (laughs) And I, I, I love that moment. I think it speaks volumes to everyone involved. I think everyone who is involved is doing a great job from, from you know, a technical standpoint to an acting standpoint, directing all these things. And I think as good as the screenplay is in this movie, when no one's talking, the movie's just as fucking good. And that's why Chinatown's so goddamn awesome because in the, in the empty moments and the, the silence, you're just as intrigued. Because something else is carrying it through to the finish line. And whether it be the music, whether it be the cinematography, whether it be Roman Polanski's eye, something is carrying it to the finish line. It might just be looking at Jack Nicholson's fucked up nose. But all those things, and that scene, it did that hand over fist, just just kind of kind of leveled me when I watched it this time, where I was like, whoa it's one of those scenes that one of those moments stretches in movies that makes me want to make movies, you know, like I want to do that. That was cool as shit. And you know, I, I, I I'm trying to search for these things within these movies for the Deacons because I agree with you. I think, I think the climax of the movie is the best moment of the movie, but for personal connection and my own, like my own Deacons, I, you know, I just, I felt very strongly about that, that particular stretch of the film
1: yeah I can tell that's uh the detail you described that and I could picture it exactly uh, insightful very cool I like that you've you honed in on a very kind of not really specific part just kind of like a sequence of events that stretch yeah. yeah and yeah I love one of my favorite things about this movie is and it, it, you can't really tell until you've seen this movie a few times is that Jake Guinness is really kind of a terrible detective yeah he, yeah. He is constantly on the wrong trail. He accuses like three different people of the murder. So sure of himself every time. And in the end, just, you know, fucks up. It's, it's interesting. He's supposed to be our hero. You know, bogey didn't fuck up, but get fucks up. And that's cool. You know, he's makes him relatable. The whole, you know, Chinaman joke. You need that. Like it makes, you know, it reminds you that he's just a, he's a, he's a guy. Just a guy. He's not superhuman. He's not, you know, super insightful. He's just a, he's just an asshole who used to be a cop who's trying to get paid here.
0: With an office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very awesome. Yeah. I love it, man. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome film. What, you know, definitely one of my favorites we've done here, uh, 32 episodes in, but it's just going to get better and better. And, you know, I think next week we're changing up the pace like completely and, It's something that you actually brought up. So I'll I'll let you say what we're going to do next week because you're the one who kind of threw it out there and I was like, let's fucking do it.
1: So this was a film that's kind of been in my peripheral for quite a while. It's a film that I've always wanted to see specifically because an actress I've always wanted to really kind of dig into is Ingrid Bergman. Uh, Three-time Oscar winner, Ingrid Bergman. (laughs) And the film that she won her first Oscar for is 1944's Gaslight. It's where the term gaslighting came from, which is to make somebody think they're crazy when in reality they're not. So this movie, I'm, we, I have not watched this yet. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this.
0: No, no, I haven't. I I don't know much about it at all. I have read a tiny bit about it, but I I don't know much and I'm really excited because it's, it's 1944. So, we're going back to a totally different decade uh, exactly 30 years before Chinatown and uh, another movie that I, I know has a powerful influence on the people that are attached to it so I'm excited to become maybe a part of that fan club and talk about the 17th Academy Awards Holy shit.
1: <laughs> yes indeed'm I'm, I'm looking forward to finally going into Ingrid Bergman's career and talking about her and just getting to explore a movie that I think um, when I hear, was a bit of a game changer back in the mid forties. So looking forward to Gaslight next week. Where's yeah. It?
0: Yeah. Might do some, might do some extra legwork. Maybe, maybe watch a little bit of Ingrid extra, or maybe watch a couple 1944 films. We'll see. But the main, the main focus is definitely yeah. Gaslight, a film that neither of us have seen. So we're going in blind. Yes. We've done that a few times on this show before, and it's totally worked out except for hamlet so
1: <laughs> even so though i am glad we did that because we had those four other masterpieces we got to have
0: yes no it, it gave us four awesome awesome movies in one yeah one not so great
1: um don't miss uh the 1999 remake of the mummy on the filmgasm podcast on wednesday and of course more sneak preview on monday uh thanks for listening to chinatown check it out if you haven't uh it is a masterpiece and uh We look forward to to Gaslight. We'll see you next Sunday.